Hello, I'm Derek Cooper, and I'd like to welcome you to this issue of the ISTC's official podcast. Later in this issue, you'll hear a conversation I had with Helen Harbord, an ISTC fellow who I first met in 2013. Helen shares with us the story of how she discovered technical communication as a career option and has since developed a deep passion for its many facets. First, though, we're going to hear from Darren Mitchum, who recently joined the ISTC Council to look after the community operations. Inevitably, then, I started by asking Darren about that role and how he's settling into it. Yeah, so far... I've been finding my feet in the role and finding all the different areas of community that exist within the ISTC. If we look more broadly at community, over time people would think of possibly a little village or later on perhaps think in the 70s, the EEC, of course, that's got community in the acronym. Um, and you think of community as being a, a collection of people. Um, of course, these days it's now an online phenomenon and I believe that we should be taking advantage of any online facilities to increase the ISTC community. Um, I run the local Thames Valley, or encourage people to come to the local Thames Valley local meetings. Um, We have local meetings in various parts of the country. So um, Thames Valley is an obvious one. Manchester, Edinburgh in Scotland, they're very popular meetings. So they're they're more your old-fashioned definition of community. But I would really like to see us expand into areas where there are many more virtual communities. Um, I'm a member of various virtual communities for classic car groups and classical music forums and things like that. And it it gives you a sort of a a sense of being and a sense of, well, for want of a better word, a sense of community. You discuss things. And certainly as a technical author, I know many technical authors in the UK who are lone technical authors. And there's those moments in the day when you just need that little bit of support or you want to bounce a question off someone. Um, you know, your, your mind's having one of those moments when you've forgotten something that you usually know in great detail. And having those people around you, even if they're virtual, um, is, is, they're the things I want to encourage. I want, I want people to feel proud to be technical authors and feel proud to be part of a community. Do you use the virtual community side of what you've just described for the Thames Valley group or is it it's purely face-to-face? The Thames Valley group we're a very close-knit community and, we're, and, and most of our dealings are face-to-face. Mm. Um, the email goes out once a month and reminds the people that the meetings are coming up and that usually spins off onto a couple of other discussions about something um, generally technical author technical communication related and um, out of 20 people on the mail list probably five or six will get involved in that debate Um, we've tried to encourage people to use the ISTC forum um, which is available to ISTC members we've tried to encourage people to use that to to have their chats and their debates on we also have a small whatsapp group which is some of the Thames Valley people so for example we're we're going for our first day out shortly to Bletchley Park, um, which seems oh, you'll enjoy that. To, go, to, go, mm. to go as a technical author. So, yeah, we're, we're really looking forward to that. And there's a good five or six of us going along to that. And so we've set up a WhatsApp group for that, um, which seems to be more appropriate than having emails bouncing around. 
And I know we've got plenty of technical authors in far-flung parts of the UK, but also in Europe and some even across the world. And there are proposals. We've not settled on anything yet, but there are. there's a hope that there will be some kind of virtual video community. There seems to be some desire to have that. Now, how we set that up and how we get that going, um, it's early days yet. Mm. There's plenty of other things to look at. Of course, we've got Facebook presences. Um, there's been a suggestion that maybe we'd want some presence on Instagram, but there's not a lot of photos in technical offering. Twitter, we have a big presence on Twitter, which is a good a good draw for people getting new snippets. So all that hopefully helps people to feel part of a wider technical author, technical communications industry. The whole world has changed, hasn't it, since the first technical author started operating. Well, the ISTC is now 70 years old, so the world has changed entirely in that period. Yeah, I suppose when I look back, when I first started in 95, um, actually, no, earlier than that. Anyway, when I first started, the, the technical authors, you would very rarely have a lone technical author because you would have someone who was a copywriter, someone who was a paster, someone who was a graphic illustrator, and possibly even, if you were a fairly large business, some kind of printer or um, the, the um, when they used to make the the templates for the print. I can't think what that machine was called now. Mm. It's like a posh photograph type machine. Mm. Um, so I, I guess when you in those days it would be rare for you to be on your own because you would have a small team of people to to fall back onto. Just as I started in the industry, that's when DTP. There's an acronym we don't see very often oh, these days. Desktop yeah. publishing. That was a big, that was a big thing with PageMaker and Quark Express, and, yeah. and then much smaller companies would then get involved in. You know, they they had a computer, therefore it was just a case of buying some software and they could do their own technical authoring and technical writing. Yes, I remember starting out as a sole author in a company and uh, I was the first one to actually work with Windows on my computer and everyone said, Ooh. what are you doing that for? That's not going to last. <laughs> so that would have been early to mid-90s then, I suspect. Yeah, 92 I started. Oh, was that Windows 311? Oh, it was about that, yes. Yeah, really it's the favourite one that people started with. <laughs> okay, so what what sort of work are you involved with now? Does membership of the ISTC impact on it? I'm involved in electronic engineering strokes, computer science kind of work. So, yes, definitely technical and some very sort of high-end products the departments and the companies I'm working in within Intel, we don't deal with anything that's consumer, sold into consumer markets. It's more your sort of video broadcast studio, end customers, mobile phone, ground stations, mm. medical equipment. And being part of the ISTC, it's, it's the support. I think it's when that support is there. You know, you occasionally, people are very good to deal with generally, but just occasionally, you'll have someone question something that you're doing or say, you know, oh, I've seen this done in a different kind of way. Why aren't you doing that like that? And if you're a lone person standing up against people like that, it, it can be a little terrifying. Mm. But if you've got that support from the ISTC and you know you're surrounded by other 
professional, qualified technical communicators, you can call on those people and say, look, I've got this situation here, you know, I've got a troubleshooting guide, for example, that was something that came up recently. You know, what, what sort of things would you recommend in a troubleshooting guide and how would you lay it out? Where would you present it? You know, would this just be an online thing or an interactive thing? Or would you still put it in a PDF? All those questions that, you know, you, it doesn't matter how many years you've been in the industry. You know, when I first started out, I was probably more confident than I am now. Um, and I know that even after 20, 25, 30 years, whatever it is, that there's still something I learn new every day. And there's, and especially with, with the way that the way we present material is evolving so quickly. There's, there's, if someone comes up to me and came for a job interview, for example, or boasted at the Thames Valley meeting that they were a supreme, supreme technical author and they knew everything they knew about technical communications, um, well, I wouldn't believe them. And, and, and even if why, it were possible, then the, the, the day after they would be out of date again. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, in my opinion, I don't know if it's everyone's opinion, the ISTC is so important. It's that community and it's that um, gathering of knowledge. That's not quite the right phrase I'm using. Um, well, I think you summed it up. Yeah. Yes, it's it's the community thing again, isn't it? Yeah. It lends professionalism to what we are doing. There are examinations that you can take. There are qualifications that you can get in technical authorship. But it's e equally possible to come into this profession with no prior experience, without relevant qualifications, and call yourself a technical author. And you might be successful in that. But by joining the ISTC... It's not simply a matter of paying your money and getting a badge, for example. You have to demonstrate that you are um, worthy of that title. And so membership of the ISTC actually means something, doesn't it? Yes, it means something, and I think it can probably mean more these days. Because hmm. I think one of the things that in the general public eye, and even in general engineers' eyes, you know, you think technical author, you think, oh, well, you know, that's someone who's just typing up my notes for me, mm -hmm. um, which certainly isn't true. It's it's much wider than that, and I think we need to be clearer to the people that we work for that it means a lot more than that, and clearer to other technical communicators and technical authors. Mm. Um, so what are we? The Institute, well, that's fair enough for an institute, of scientific and technical communicators. Now, you can communicate in many, many ways. in just typing up some words on a typewriter. Mm. I noticed that in the last year and a half, the big, big trend has been for YouTube instructional videos. If you yes. ask any of your friends, any of your colleagues, you know, how would you learn to play the guitar? How would you fix your boiler in the house? How would you change the tire on your car? And they all say, oh, I go to YouTube, see if there's a video on that. Um, there's been a massive explosion in that. Um, and so, of course, some technical communicators, like here, diagrams are an obvious one, never use words. So we need to make it much broader and get out of this stereotypical, you know, person sat in front of a word processor with Microsoft Word. So that, if you were looking at uh, technical communication worldwide, globally, generally, generically, and so on, is, is that where you would make the biggest change? Moving away from the written word into a more visual communication media? I think we have to, yeah. I mean, we were looking 
I can't remember who it was at the last TCUK or somewhere else, but there was a lot about artificial intelligence and artificial reality, AR, yeah. Yes, it was. It was a presentation at the last TCUK, which was very good. Um, and they gave the demonstration that if you needed to change a fuse on a Volvo car, mm. you put this sort of helmet on, Google glasses type thing on, and it sort of guided your hand as to where to go. Um, now, of course, that's still in the realms of sci-fi at the moment, but I don't think it's very far away. No, it isn't. Science fiction tends to, to appear in the real world in in some form. I heard somebody the other day saying that uh, the, the Star Trek communicators are very, very similar to some of the smartphones that we have now. So, oh, the smartphones that do everything, yeah. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So on the one hand, I'm, I'm a bit torn on this one because we, we need to be more recognisable on the high street, so to speak, with the general public. Hmm. You know, people need to know what communicators do, technical communicators do. Um, I think there's a long way to go improving that perception we need to work hard on that but in the same breath it's almost like if the if we had perfect products if we work for companies that made perfect products we're not actually needed things should be intuitive and they never are well Mm. that's a lie sorry my my father who's now 72 got his first tablet recently and he took to it like a duck to water. Mm. There was no instruction manual with it. He didn't sit down and read anything. You know, the, the online prompts guided him through, you know, start, enter your Wi-Fi passcode, and then he was off. And then the first Google search he came to, there was a QWERTY keyboard. And he looked at me and he said, oh, Lordy, he said, I, I can't work this keyboard. He said, look, I don't know where all the letters are. He'd never used a keyboard in his life. And then he looked and he said, oh, look, there's a microphone symbol there. Oh, what happens when I press that? And I thought... I don't know what happened. I've never pressed that one. And he said, oh, look, it does voice recognition. And he spoke to it. And I thought, well, that was a fantastic example of something being intuitive and clever and needed no documentation, but may have needed input from technical communicators. Because I would suspect that if the person who was designing the interface was a software engineer, they could well have benefited from having input from technical communicators because we would have said what a certain icon should have looked like, what Mm. order you press things, where you find things. So once again, that's an area of the industry that, that probably not everyone appreciates. Thank you, Darren, for your insight into this growing area of the ISTC's focus and your deep interest and involvement with it. I wish you continued success and look forward to seeing how it develops under your guidance. I must say the idea of virtual area groups intrigues me and is likely to be of wider interest among members whose working lives make it difficult to attend group meetings in person. I first met Helen Harbord at the TCUK conference in Bristol in 2013 and was immediately impressed with her calm professionalism, passion for technical communication and her sense of humour, all of which are clearly demonstrated in this very enjoyable conversation we shared for the podcast. I can think of no better person to introduce Helen than Helen herself. Right, well, I'm Helen Harbord and um, I've been a member of the ISTC for about 14 years and a fellow for the last few, I would say. 
I work, well, I'm lucky, I'm based at home and uh, I work for a company in London and they develop software to help people design and run clinical trials. So it's a medical world. Um, so, you know, you, you get to work out um, what questions you want to ask people in the trial, design the forms and then um, collect the data from the actual trial as it's running. So it's it's a very clinical background. I'm, I don't have a clinical background myself, but um, I don't need it, really. Um, I'm surrounded by a lot of people that do. Uh, and yeah, I, I basically write all the online help. Um, I do help for the API. I do release documentation. I do video. I'd like to do more video. Mostly at the moment, it's sort of new feature demos, that kind of thing. Um, and a little bit of UX crossover stuff. So sort of user interface design and the text that goes on to the user interface. Um, and because we're quite a small team, I do get involved with helping out with designing some of the UI as well. So, yeah, quite a sort of a, a range. Hmm. Well, you mentioned video there. With, with the video content, is that mainly screen captures or is it face to camera? It's yeah, it's mostly screen capture stuff. So it's it's well, it depends what I'm doing. Mostly for the um, for the uh, new release demos, it, it literally is. I use Camtasia and I just I capture bits of the screen. And we don't narrate those. We, we use callouts. Um, and yeah, we just uh, show try to show what the benefits are of the new feature. And they're usually pretty short. I think the longest one I've done is probably just over two minutes. Um, but then I have also done a few um, more more live video stuff, sort of marketing type videos. And those, I haven't done any, uh, I haven't had to present them myself, thankfully, but I do, I have done a bit of narration on some of them. So, um, yeah, depends what needs doing, really. I do remember you've won a competition about three <laughs> years ago, wasn't it? You created a video for TCUK. I did, I did, in Brighton. Yes. Yeah, that was good fun. That and was I, fun. And I can remember you interviewing me for that. <laughs> and now I'm I getting did. my own back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. But I remember you were dressed up in a in a posh dinner jacket, and I'm sitting here in my jeans. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well, nobody could tell. No, that's true. <laughs> so, how did you become involved in technical communication originally, then, Helen? Golly, well, let's think. Um, I've always loved language and reading and writing and anything like that, really. Um, I remember when I was I was really little and my family, we were all playing I Spy. And somebody said, um, I spy with my little eye, something beginning with what? <laughs> I think, you know, I was little, I wouldn't know. And so I said, is that what for window or what for wabbit? Because, you know, they're different and I wanted to know. And everyone thought that was hilarious and they're still laughing at me today. But, you know, I have always really sort of picked up on language and loved it. Um, and I did a linguistics degree down at Sussex in Brighton. And then I think after that, I was sort of, you know, casting around thinking, well, the only obvious job after linguistics is either teaching linguistics or probably speech therapy, which didn't really appeal. And I, I, I still remember I was looking in the local paper and I saw this advert for a job. And the job was to write instructions for a piece of hospital equipment. And I just remember thinking, what, that is a job? What, yes. that's an actual job? No way. So, like, you go in and you see this box and it's got dials and buttons on it and, you know, and, and you find out how people use it and then you, you write down what they have to do. Oh, this is just so cool. I've got to do this. Hmm. And I just remember being so excited. It completely caught my enthusiasm. And um, 
you know, I, I didn't get the job. I can't even remember if I applied for it at the time, but it just opened my eyes to the fact that you could do this. You know, it was an actual genuine job where you could write instructions for people to do things. And somehow it just, that was it. Oh, I love the idea of it. So I think I looked around and in fact, the first job I had was with a company, it was a civil engineering software company. So the actual content and the technical um, stuff going on was way over my head because I had not you know, studied civil engineering at all. Um, but I was a junior in a team of three. And that was a really nice introduction because, you know, I was just sort of told, right, this bit's changed. Go and update the help. And so I'd go off and do that bit. And, you know, it was a really nice way in. And then I think I liked the actual job. You know, I liked the, what I was doing, but it was a bit of a a stuffy environment I suppose you know I'd just been a student and then suddenly I was in a room where there was no reason to leave the room for the whole day really because all mm. the people I had to talk to were in the room and so ah uh, it did my head in a bit so after a while I, I thought I'd move on um, and I think my next job was complete opposite so I went from you know something fairly intellectual to working for a company that wrote software for hair and beauty salons um, oh. <laughs> I was actually a trainer for them but I also did um, uh, I, did, I did a bit of you know user guide and online help stuff for that but that was a really fun job it was complete other end of the spectrum going into salons and you know going up to London and doing all sorts of stuff um, so that was really really fun um, and then I went back to the more um, the, the less less exciting should we say with gas and electricity metering software hmm. it's to be quite honest I never entirely understood all of it <laughs> because it was it was a kind of, I don't know, it was it was one of those systems where I only I only ever got to see a small part of it. So you never felt that you really had the whole picture. Um, but I, I did, you know, I, I did what I needed to do for them. Uh, and then I think from then I, I went to pretty much where I am now. Yeah. Clinical trials. Mm. So all the way along, it's been um, you've been paid effectively for doing a hobby, really. It's not ideal. <laughs> I think you're right. Actually, I, I do really like it. Even, mm. yeah, yeah. I yeah. think I, I think we could tell. <laughs> <laughs> I know that one of your uh, sideline interests is in uh, aviation, aircraft, and um, oh yeah, regularly at the air shows. That's right. Yeah, volunteer, volunteer mm. at um, one of the really big ones every summer. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever thought about going into uh, um, the aviation documentation field? Hmm. Funnily enough, I was talking to somebody earlier who works with somebody who used to work for Lockheed Martin, and I was thinking, oh, I was really jealous. Hmm. But actually, um, I haven't really seriously. Every so often I have sort of looked at what's out there. But the thing is, I think um, I, don't have a, I don't have the technical knowledge um the engineering knowledge you know i don't have an engineering background and i think probably if you're if you're working in that world you really do need to have a good grounding and a good understanding of that stuff um so i haven't ever really pursued it to be honest um i think i'll just i'll keep my interest as leaping up and down as the typhoons <laughs> overhead and pushing spitfires out of hangars which i got to do a couple of years ago oh. so yeah I think I'll, I think I'll, I'll stick at that level and um, keep my writing to, to something that um, I can understand. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of uh, the listeners would have gone green with envy there at the thought of pushing Spitfires around. Okay, you mentioned when you were starting out. Then, if, if you were starting out um, again 
now, um, but you knew then what you know now, would you have done it differently? Hmm. I think, I don't know that I would have done anything differently in terms of my actual career and the jobs. I think having worked with several different companies has been good because, you know, I've got to um, quite a, a good experience of different things, different types of teams, that, that sort of thing. I suppose possibly working for a few more different companies. I think if I if I hadn't ended up with the place I'm at now, which I love, and I absolutely love the people, it's a really good team. If it hadn't been for that, I probably would have done a, a few more, yeah, different jobs, which probably would have been good for it. But I think, I think the thing um, that I probably would have done is to have got involved in the technical communication community a bit more earlier on, because I think I'm I'm the only I'm a sole technical author in my team, so it's just me, and I know that that's fairly common in the mm. profession, um, and it can be quite a lonely place. And although you know there are advantages, you get to sort of plan your own projects and kind of you know um, yeah investigate stuff. Just you know because if you know you see a new technology and you can just go off and have a go, um, but of course the other side of it is that you don't have people to discuss projects with and to you know um, just bounce ideas off and that kind of thing. So I think the community as a large is brilliant for that, absolutely brilliant. And mm. I've met some great people and had some brilliant conversations that I just wouldn't have had. And I think just keeping up to date with what is out there you know and new techniques um that kind of thing it's nice because I, I because I you know I go to the conference every year and I I follow stuff and I read magazines and you know I follow people on Twitter and that kind of thing um I feel like that I am up to date with things and I, I I know what's going on I know what the buzzwords are you know I feel that I'm I'm in a good position to do my job whereas mm. I think I think probably towards more towards the beginning of my career I didn't have any of that so all I really knew was what was going on in the room around me which inevitably is going to be fairly narrow because you're just working with whatever tools you've got in you know I didn't really know about anything else I didn't mm. know what the options were so yeah I think that's probably the thing I'd say. Mm -hmm. Have you ever yeah. worked with a, a larger team? Well no, I haven't. But having said that, the company I work for at the moment, um, we have got a new team rewriting our current software. So I am going to be working with them. and They are a bigger team and they're part of a bigger organisation. So there are going to be more people that I can talk to. And in fact, there are a couple of technical writers who work on a different product, but they are within the, you know, the company umbrella. So I have just today actually been chatting to one of them uh, and it's lovely you know I, I had half an hour of getting really excited about context sensitive help with somebody which you know you don't get to do that very often <laughs> so um, yeah so I am starting to work with more people and it's very nice. Mm. Okay initially I came into this profession as a, a sole author myself yeah um, I wonder if you had the same issues that I did in that there was no milestone that you were working to. There was, uh, in my case, I was effectively given a blank sheet of paper and asked to create something from scratch. Yeah. Um, have you encountered that? How, how did you overcome it? Did you have any training at all? Um, tr it's a good question. I I didn't have any training in starting from scratch and setting up a completely new 
system. So when I first had to do it, I, you know, just did research and looked into it and, and used the tools I, I had um, and kind of made the best of it. Um, and then since then, I've learned a lot more, had a lot more experience. Um, and in fact, I am about to do pretty much that. When our um, system is rewritten, I will be doing the uh, user assistance for it. And so I am at the moment just going through, you know, all the possibilities and, and the the ways in which I could and shouldn't do things. And, you know, there are so many, as you say, it's a bit of a blank sheet of paper. Mm. And when the other people on your team don't really know about the options, you know, they think they do. So perhaps they'll latch on to something. For example, the context sensitive stuff we were talking about earlier, mm. you know, the team, they said, yes, we want this. But I need to make sure that they understand what this actually is mm. and, you know, what it means in terms of development time and, and you know, collaborating with me. And, you know, it, it's a bit more integrated than if, if we don't do that. So, yeah, it, it's it is a challenge, but I think I prefer it that way. You get, you get more of a creative feel about things if if you are the person that can look at it and think, right, what do we actually need? Mm. You know, what do we really need here? You know, who's going to be using it? What do they need? Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's more fun that way. Actually, it is. <laughs> it, it is. It's fun. It's challenging, and it's it's very rewarding as well on an intellectual level. Mm. So, um, yeah. Good luck with that. Thank you very much. <laughs> you mentioned earlier on that you became a, a fellow of the ISTC a few yeah. years ago. Has that made any changes to the way you work, your approach to work? attitudes of your colleagues yeah i think it has um i think because um the cpd continued professional development if that's the correct hmm. wording yeah um within the istc encourages you to kind of keep um a record and keep a track of of the, the you know your your own development really within the profession so that has kind of encourage me to do that so I'm I'm more aware of what I'm learning and what I'm you know how I'm improving as I'm going along I'm not just doing my job I'm kind of at the end of every year I can look and think oh yeah you know I now know this I can now do this or you know I can see progress which I wasn't really doing before before I was just getting on with my work um so that's a good thing um it, it does help definitely does help raise profile a little bit at work you know I have a, a laptop sticker Mm. which says certified fellow and quite often people do say oh what, what's the ISTC then and mm. you sort of say well it's you know Institute for Scientific Technical Communicators and they look at you and go blimey <laughs> and, you say, and you say you have to be able to spell it backwards before they let you in <laughs> <laughs> and I think they actually thought I was serious but mm. yeah so it, it does spark off conversations and then you yeah you can sort of talk a bit it's nice because I think people see your title and they say, oh, technical author or technical writer. And they do think that all you do is write down steps for how to do something. And so I think bringing that just the word communication into it kind of expands that um, concept a bit. And, and it does give you the opportunity to talk to people about what's involved in the job, what can be involved in the job and what I can offer. You know, it's not just writing skills. It's you know a lot more than that. So, yeah, I think it definitely is a good thing. Mm. Okay, well, I've only got the one more question. Are there any questions you wish I'd asked you? <laughs> uh, let's think. I don't know. I was trying to think of um, what questions would I ask myself or would I ask somebody else, and I couldn't really think of anything. I mean, all I could think of was if 
if I wasn't a technical author, what would I be? Hmm. Um, but the thing is, I can't, I have got a lot of interest. And like you were saying, you know, the aviation and, you know, I've done bits of acting and sort mm. of making and, and my husband's a photographer and I do quite a bit of content writing for him, which is a very different kind of writing to, to what I, I write for my job. So that's really fun, you know, getting to use words in a different way and everything. Um, and I have thought about maybe moving, moving into UX, you know, um, user experience because it's very, very connected with what we do and a lot of what we do actually now comes under the ux umbrella um so i did think oh that would be a you know an interesting way of moving in but actually i think the more i think about it the more i just realized actually i just really like what i do now and um i think i probably need a better way of describing it to people because if you say you know you're a technical writer it does sound pretty dull to be fair <laughs> I mean, it, you know, well, yes. the te- it's the technical bit, isn't it? If you just yes. say, I do sometimes just say I'm a writer and uh, and then that gets a lot more interest. Um, but the thing is, I mean, I see it as it, it, it's about, it's not about technical stuff and code and data. It's about people and, mm. you know, their emotions and the psychology and what's going on in their heads when they're using software and <clears throat> what, what when things go wrong, why and and how can you help them and, to me, that's just fascinating. It's really interesting. Um, so I can't, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm just really happy with it, I think. Mm. It's quite boring, isn't it? No. <laughs> People are supposed to have ambitions and dreams. and, and <laughs> But, I, I, you know, I do really just quite like it. Well, I've been doing it for 26 years. So <laughs> yeah, and actually, I hope it's not boring. It's a good point because I think about all the people I've met over the years and they're still, they are all still there. I don't. Mm actually think i really know anyone who's left and gone into anything completely different you know they, no. they, they stick around don't they they do <laughs> it's kind of like a family yes and more so we're seeing the same faces um as well as new ones at each conference oh and it's yeah well, it's wonderful it it, it, it is yeah. like a family it really is yeah it is it's lovely yeah and i think that is partly because a lot of people are the sole author or they're in a very small team and so I think we really appreciate getting together because I was thinking the other day you don't really hear of, you know developers don't go off to the developers conference and well they might do but they don't get all excited about meeting people that they met there before and at least mm. I haven't heard them I haven't heard that kind of thing it, it does seem to be slightly peculiar to hmm. Hmm. thank you to Helen and to Darren for your time and for helping to make this podcast. We're always searching for ideas to include in the podcast and for subjects to discuss. If you have an idea for the podcast or have something you'd like to tell us, please contact the ISTC by email and we'll do the rest. Thank you for listening. This is Derek Cooper signing off. Until the next time.